0: Because at the beginning of my my path, I was writing stories with main, white main characters. And so I wasn't seen in that story. Like, there was no Asian representation in that story. There was no Black representation in that story. It was it was kind of, I, I wrote the stories that I read as a child. And then I had to say, you know, do I really want that? Do I really want to erase myself as I'm authoring this book? And so I, I came to a point like seven years into my writing journey where I said, no, I don't want to. And so then I changed my stories. And when I changed my stories, there were all these other factors that come into telling a story from the perspective, from a Filipino perspective that I hadn't had to consider before. When I did that, that's when my stories became richer and to me more truthful, um, more poignant. And I think that's why my stories sold was because I, I added me, or infused a little piece of myself into the story, that was when my stuff uh, began to sell.
1: You're listening to Chief Executive Ante, the podcast exploring the work lives of Asian Americans beyond the conventional doctor, lawyer, and engineer. I'm your host, Jennifer Dwan-Falz my understanding of the term Asian American was pretty narrow until hmm, maybe three or four years ago like many immigrant families we hung out mostly with quote-unquote our own kind of Asian and for us that meant light-skinned highly educated professional class Chinese and Taiwanese Christians specifically I did not know anything about other Asian American identities or experiences whether that's transracial adoptees, people who are multiracial, refugees, or even, honestly, that many non-Christians. The first time I heard someone refer to people from India as South Asian, I was like, what?! And I've tried to make an effort to get outside my Northeast Asian bubble ever since. With the announcement of Kamala Harris as the vice presidential nominee for the Democratic Party, get ready for a resurgence of the term Belasian, that is, black and Asian which I'm not even sure I knew about until a year or two ago. My guest today is Presleza Williams, founder of Blasian Chick Media, which as of yesterday at the time of this recording, and author of contemporary romance and women's fiction. You also may have seen her as Cindy Ornette on the mystery files of Shelby Woo on Nickelodeon back in the mid nineties, if you're old enough for that. Sadly, I did not have Nickelodeon, so I missed out on her appearance. But anyway, welcome to the show, Presleza. Hi, Jennifer. Thank you for having me. So you are an author and an actress, actually, which I discovered today while, while Googling things for your bio, which we'll talk about. Um, uh-huh. As an author, as a parent, as an actress, what do you really do then? <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh-huh. So I do all three. Um the acting, not as much now as uh, when I did when I was younger, but I still am a professional actor. Um, I write fiction. Um, I call my brand of fiction that I write uh, fiction with an Afro-Filipina twist, which basically means that I uh, weave in my uh, Black and Filipino heritage into my stories whenever, whenever it fits. Um, I write in contemporary romance and I write women's fiction. Um, and and I homeschool. And that's gone crazy since the quarantine started because I've been like hyper homeschooling, meaning that my children are with me all the time. We usually go out to different places during the week. And now since most places are canceled, we're home all day. So we're really homeschooling, which which can get nerve (laughs) wracking.
1: I can imagine. I mean, one of my friends who homeschools, she's like, We're never actually at home when we learn things, at least in the before in the before time. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So what is a typical day if there is such thing? What is a typical day like for you?
0: Oh, my gosh. Okay. so a typical day. Um, Mm Hmm. Well, now um, I wake up. I try to wake up before my family wakes up and um, I get some writing in. Um. try to unpack my brain and write like a little list of kind of things I do. This is my ideal day. This is my ideal day. This doesn't happen <laughs> every day. Um, and then um, it's just typical uh, mom stuff. Usually my daughter wakes up first. And so she wanders in while I'm trying to finish something up. We hug. I get her breakfast. Um, then my son gets up Then my spouse gets up and, you know, we just they start eating and then after (laughs) and then after they they're up I have to like get into oh the caregiver mode or the caretaker mode and then I just um, usually just watch my children while they do their lessons for the day and supervise that. Um, I usually try to get uh, most of my writing in before they get up because that's my time for myself. Yeah, you've got um, the uh
1: you've got the five AM writers club now. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, there's yeah, that hashtag on Twitter, the five AM writers club. So I decided to join that because I was feeling pretty um pretty unproductive um after when when the pandemic really hit and we had to quarantine. And so I said, I have to I am not getting anything done. And I was like, usually by this time this year I'm like halfway or a third of a way through a project, through a novel or something and nothing has happened. So, so I said, you know, I'm going to try that 5 a.m. thing. And I haven't been super, super consistent with it. Like there are some days where I don't do it, but I do like to be within the camaraderie of other writers on Twitter who are taking part in it. So, so, so yeah. So usually after my kids get up um, and my family's up, then it's usually just family Ten to family. We're all in the house. And there we go. (laughs) That's my day. I usually check emails and post on social media and all of that in between, in between that stuff. So
1: (laughs) 5am is a smudge too early for me. (laughs) I'm a morning person, but I'm not particularly useful that early in the morning. Yeah. So did you, did I hear you correctly that you do a book a year? Is that right? <laughs> yeah,
0: I try to. Uh huh. Now I'm not. That's not. That's not very prolific compared to other people's. Though so.
1: it's not. Um, <laughs> no. I mean, I guess the. Yeah. I guess is that is that more tip I guess that maybe that is more typical for romance to have to be to have a book a year. Um. Usually, some romance writers can write five, six,
0: or seven books a year. So, so I'm like I said, compared to other romance writers, I'm pretty.
1: Um, I'm pretty slow. So. That sounds insane to me actually <laughs> that sounds really fast to me um yeah. how did you how did your interest in romance develop and evolve hmm.
0: so okay so writing i started writing when my oldest son was a newborn and um, i did that as a creative outlet because just being with a newborn was just making me crazy So I said, I need an outlet, a creative outlet. So I did, I tried my hand at writing. And when I first started writing, I I started, I tried um, young adult fiction. um, And then I decided to um, focus on romance because I said, oh, you know, romance um, has a set. I'm a type A type person. Like I like to know like a structure, like how do you put this book together And so for me, there were, there are specific like beats in a romance, like for the romantic relationship. And I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to learn this, this genre. And then, you know, maybe later on I could, you know, experiment or whatever, but I'm going to, I want to learn this genre first. And let me focus in on this because I was just all over the place. I was trying different types of genres. So I said, you know, I'm going to start romance, learn romance, and then uh, master romance, master romance, hopefully. So that's how I started after wandering in different genres.
1: Yeah. Are you, were you a romance reader prior to starting your writing career?
0: Actually, I wasn't a big romance reader, which is kind of interesting. I wasn't a big romance reader um, prior to starting. Um, I read a lot of fiction and my interests, even today, they, they go all over. They run the gamut of um, genres. Um, So I wasn't a big, big romance reader prior to writing romance. Um, I became a romance reader after I made that decision to to learn the genre. That's when I, when I started, which is kind of atypical because usually a lot of people say, oh, I've been writing or reading or interested in romance since I was reading my mom's Harlequin books <laughs> on the slide <laughs> when I was a teenager or when I was in seventh grade. But that that's not me. Um, so, yeah.
1: <laughs> Do you find... Do you ever want, I mean, are you at the point where you're going to start experimenting with the structure? Are you still kind of in like, yeah, this is the romance. I don't want to say formula. I don't mean that Mm -hmm. in like a critical way, but just like, Mm -hmm. but, but people have expectations of what a romance should be. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I do write, um, now I do, I do write in different genres. Um, so like, for example, I just finished for my MFA thesis was, um, a dual timeline story and they would call it upmarket fiction or um, yeah, upmarket fiction with it was dual timeline story. So it takes place in the present day and it um, also takes place in the um, antebellum South and they're two separate storylines and they kind of connect and we together. So that's been my most ambitious project to date. And um, so I did that. So yes, I do write outside of uh, romance, but I still love, I love it. Um, I love romance. Like one of the things I like about it for me is I can put, I can push the genre in my own way. Like there's like, you know, there is that, you know, those expectations in the romance story of things that you have to hit, but there are so many different ways that you can hit them. So like, that's what I kind of like to do and hopefully what I'm going to be successful at doing We'll see. <laughs> Seems
1: but like yeah. you're doing okay for yourself so far.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's been a long road, though. Um, like, I, like I said, I started writing um, fiction 12 years ago. So it's a long road because first you have to learn it, and then you have to learn the industry. Then you have to query, and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah. What was your experience like looking for agent representation and then a publisher?
0: So my um actually my agent experience is very interesting. My my experience is so off well no, it may not be. I think a lot of writers have, have gone well a lot of writers have gone through similar paths. Okay, so for me, I had an agent before. Um I was represented by an agent for about two years, and then we parted ways because it just wasn't a right fit. So I said, you know, this isn't the right agent for me. And so we parted ways and um I I was kind of, that was a big turning point in my career or my journey. I don't know if I was having a career yet because I wasn't officially published, but I was like, how am I going to get traditionally published without an agent? (laughs) So this is like crazy. So I just kept writing um, and I at the time, I was a member of Romance Writers of America. And um, what I like about that organization is that they um, take in unpublished romance writers and m- m- like New York Times bestselling romance writers. So you can like run the gamut in that organization and start and start where you are. Or, you know, they, they, they address the different levels of, of where you're at in your career. So I started getting more active in RWA Um, And just um, talking to other romance writers. And I started going to the RWA conferences in 2017. And sometimes at those conferences, they would have um, pitch sessions where you could pitch directly to agents or you could pitch directly to publishers. And so um, I pitched uh, my romance novel, one of my romance novels, to um, Avon Books in 2018 and then um, it was just a quick five-minute pitch. Um, and then she, the editor, uh, suggested that I make some changes. And she's like, you know, you know this is your book and, and you can do what you want, but maybe you want to think about this. So I spent the next year um, revising that book based on that conversation. And then I met with her again at another Avon pitch session in person the next year. And then I told her, I was like, oh, you know, I don't know if you remember me, but we talk da da da. And this is what happened. She's like, oh yeah, send me the full manuscript. So then I did, and by that time I've gotten, I had gotten so many uh, rejections that I was expecting another rejection, and so. But she called uh, early 2020, January 2020, and said she wanted to buy the book, and that was exciting. So um, at that point, um, I did not have an agent, and I don't have an agent now. Um, okay. For so, for me, um, the I could have gotten an agent for that book, but I, I had spent so many years, um, trying to get it sold on my own that I, I've said, you know what, I don't want to pay that commission to someone just, you know, just for this one book. Maybe I can look into getting an agent later on, but I spent so many years working on it, revising it like many, multiple, many, many years. So, I was like, hmm, no. I'll wait. So for that, I did not have an agent for that book that I sold. And right now I'm actually querying agents. So, if you know, any agents who are interested,
1: <laughs> I've talked to a couple I'll um, see What I can do not, not that okay. I'm cool or influential. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy, but.
0: Um, but yeah, some querying agents now. Um, and hopefully I can get, uh, get someone who's a right fit for me. Um, for me, for me, an author agent relationship is like a marriage. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to jump into one so quickly and then regret it later. I really want to um, go into that author agent relationship with um, and feel good about it because it's supposed to be like, a, you know, a help, they're, they're your, your agent is your partner in this industry, you know, advocates for you, who strategizes with you and, and all of that. So I want to make sure that, I'm, that I make the right choice when I do when I do sign with an agent in the future. Absolutely.
1: Um, going back to what, going back to something you said, um, when that editor gave you feedback on that, you know, on that, on, I guess it was on the pitch at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and that's something I have just barely started to think about, but how do you decide, you know, between beta readers and editors, and if you have an agent who's giving you feedback, like how do you decide which feedback to take and which to leave? I wonder.
0: Yeah. So, well, I knew that I would take her feedback because I wanted to sell the book to her. <laughs>
1: that's fair. So yes,
0: we're going to incorporate her feedback because, you know, that's, you know, I was hoping to eventually get published with Avon. So I did incorporate her feedback into the book. Now, as far as beta readers and uh, critique partners and agents, Hmm. So for me, okay. So part of my journey as a romance writer and as a writer period is that I had to find the heart of my story, the heart of what I want to write about. Cause I wandered for a long time, like maybe seven years trying to figure out like, what do I want? What is my mark as a writer? Um, what will my body of work look like? Like when I'm 60 or 70 years old, like what will be like that thread or that theme through the story? And I didn't know that starting out and I didn't know that three years into writing or, and I didn't know that four or five, six, I only knew that maybe like six or seven years into, into the writing process when I had to go through my own, um, kind of personal transformation with being, um, a black and Filipino person and I had to like kind of reconcile and come to grips with like, what does that mean for me? Um, And, you know, because at the beginning of my my path, I was writing stories with white main characters. Mm. And so I wasn't seen in that story like there was no Asian representation in that story. There is no black representation in that story. It was it it was kind of I wrote the stories that I read as a child. Mm. And then I had to say, you know, do I really want that do I really want to erase myself as I'm authoring this book? And so I, I came to a point like seven years into my writing journey. where I said, no, I don't want to. And so then I changed my stories. And when I changed my stories, there were all these other factors that come into telling a story from the perspective, from a Filipino perspective um, that I hadn't had to consider before. And so when I did that, that's when my stories became richer and to me more truthful um, or poignant, um, and I think that's why my story sold was because I I added me or infused a little piece of myself into the story. That was when my stuff um, began to sell, and when I when I honed into what that would be, what my body of work would be, or what I would want to, what my mark would be as a writer. So
1: I've heard many you know specifically Asian American writers cuz that's who I'm talking to this yeah. season but I've heard many of them say the exact same thing it was like oh once i once i put myself or part of myself into the story then mm-hmm. then it took off i spent all of 2019 and most of 2020 uh, reading only Asian American authors, actually, it was great. Yeah. It was amazing. Oh, great! Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and at first I was like, oh my gosh, am I going to be able to find any of them? And once I started looking, they're there, but they're just huh. not, you know, they don't get as much coverage, I think, yeah. as, as others do. Um, yeah. so that has been a really good experience for me. And that's what I've started doing in my own work as well. Um, yeah. Tell me more about Blazing Chic Media. What are your goals oh for gosh. that five? I'm so excited for
0: that. I just started it three days ago. I know, <laughs> <laughs> and it was on the spur of the moment. <laughs> um, okay, so I had this idea. So this idea came, um, like I said, at the same time where I started writing uh, own voices stories. Seven years into that, I was like, oh, you know, I eventually want to write or create like this lifestyle website that would just center what I call center and celebrate women of color, more specifically, um, Asian women, black women, and people who have those intersections of black and asian too. So it would be mostly like books by those authors, um, cultural commentary, um, by writers with the, with that experience. I would love to have, um, eventually, um, like contributing writers to contribute to it. Um, so cultural commentary, literature, um, and just like fun, fun stuff like uh, fashion, beauty, and things like that. So, and it's it will be, um, and it is not. It will be. It is um, targeted towards uh, women of color, like I said, um, in their thirties, thirties and up. So, so that's what I eventually uh, like. That's my vision for it. Um, and that, and it came at the same time when I had changed to writing own voices fiction. And so, yeah. And then I saw that Kamala Harris was chosen as VP and then everyone's like on social media, is she black and she Indian Is she Asian and I was like, she's Blasian.
1: <laughs> Learn the word.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, so I was like, Oh wait, I need to, pay. I need to work on that idea. I was, I had, So, you know, I had all my stuff. I had my, like, when I I had the idea in uh, 2017, 18, I had the logos, I had the concept and all of that. I just hadn't executed it. So I was like, I need to execute this.
1: (laughs) And so I did. So there we go. Yes. Uh, Kamala, (laughs) if you're listening and would like to contribute to the website. (laughs)
0: Yes, Kamali, Yes. Yes, come on, Kamala. We would love a to have you on. Great way to younger. start.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> be a great job. Yes. Um, switching gears a little bit, uh, you were an actress as a child, which I just discovered today, actually. Uh, <laughs> and how did you get started in your acting career? Okay, so acting. I have
0: had an interesting life <laughs> writing, acting, um, homeschooling, all of that. So, okay. So how did acting happen acting happened in the basically like in a similar way that blazing chicken media started <laughs> it happened on the spur of the moment okay so i was um eight years old eight or nine years old i was sitting in our apartment watching television i was watching elizabeth taylor in her film black beauties when she was um, one of her films where she was in um, as a child and i was watching her on film and i said you know what i want to do that i want to be on on film." So it was like the spur of the moment idea. And so then, you know, back then in the 80s, you had newspapers. So then I grabbed the newspaper. I looked up the classified ads. I looked up talent agents in New Jersey. I found one. I picked up the phone and I called them and I set up an appointment to meet with them for an open call. And then I told my parents what I did. And then they took me to meet the agent in New Jersey. So that's how that happened.
1: (laughs) Nice job on your parents for just like kind of, <laughs> yeah. okay. kind of rolling with it. Like you did a what now? <laughs> yeah. What was their reaction?
0: Um, I don't remember their, their, their reaction. I don't remember them being angry or surprised or anything. I just remember them taking me to the, to the, to the, to the appointment.
1: I guess that's the important part, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. So they took me to that. And then um, it was a talent agency in New Jersey. I, I don't even remember the name. Um, and they started sending me out on auditions in New York City. And so I started going on different auditions for commercials and print work. And then I had booked a job for a commercial. I think the commercial was called Sweats Express. It was like they, sw- they sell sweatpants and sweatshirts. So I booked that job. Um, and during the shoot for that commercial, um, one of the mothers, one of the stage moms told my mom about who their agent was and, Oh, she needs to get a New York agent. And so she gave her um, a referral to a New York agent. And then my mom set up an appointment for them. And then I met with that New York agent. And then I signed with them. And then I started going on. I still went on um, auditions, but I started going on auditions for um, like network television shows and NBC and Broadway stuff and all that. So, and you know what? I was just talking about this on my Facebook page a couple weeks ago. Um, when I was talking about my journey as a child actor, but my mother had kept diligent records of every single audition that I had gone on. She's Filipino. Um, so she, she took all of these, uh, records. And one day she gave them to me a couple years ago and she's like, I don't need this anymore. So she gave it to me and I was flipping through it. And it basically tracks like my history or that, like there was a, there was a time in my life from, like age eight to like 15 that is like diligently tracked, like my whole like acting journeys track. So there is a part in there. Like, so she would put a post-it note of the date, the time, you know, the location who I met with, did they say yes or no? And she put it on a post-it note and she put it in this photo album. And then she just kept doing that. So there's, I was going through that photo album and then I posted it on Facebook where the time when I got an offer to be on, um, a television show with, um, LL Cool J, Debbie Allen. And, um, let me pick, let me find it right now in the house. Yes. In the house. It was called in the house. It was a television show, a short lived TV show on NBC. And I had got an offer for that. So my mother had, you know, Um, took notes of like the negotiations and the callbacks and all of that. And, you know, and then we eventually decided that I wouldn't go there because my mom didn't want to go to LA and we were in New Jersey. I don't think she was ready to make that move, but, um, she tracked that. So yeah, so in the house. I was the first person who was offered the role. I, I don't even name, remember the name of the person who got the role, but I was the
1: first person. <laughs> and you turned it down.
0: <laughs> yes. And I turned it down. But then um, a couple years after that, then I got the offer to, I, I still auditioned and I got the offer to do um, the mystery files of Shelby on Nickelodeon. So I did that for a couple years. So yeah, that's my journey as an actor.
1: What mm-hmm. was it like working on a show with an Asian American lead? Yes. Pat
0: Morita. Oh my gosh. I loved him. Okay. So he's like the most, he was rest in peace. He was the most uh, laid back person. Um, very funny, um, gentle, gentle spirit. Um, and just, and just fun and easy going to work with. Uh, every time he came on set, it was just jokes all around and, 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 um, yeah, so I just loved, I enjoyed working with him. He, he was a great, he was a great actor, a great comedian, and he was a kind person on an offset. So yeah, I really enjoyed working with him.
1: That's amazing. Yeah. When I was looking up your IMTP, I was like, Oh, who else was on the show? I was like, Mr. Miyagi. was Yeah.
0: And, and they said, I don't know. I think I read it before where they said, that, that the cast of that show was unique in that it was um, multiracial. So they had the Asian lead, Irene Ung, and they had me, nee, the black and Asian co-star. And then they had Adam. I forgot his name of his character, but he's he's a Jewish friend and Steve Pernick. So we were like totally diverse, um, diverse cast. And that was they said what set us apart from the other shows at the
1: time so yeah I think I feel like a lot of the show I mean really a lot of shows today even still have very homogenous casts yeah Um, you were a trailblazer from a very early age (laughs) yes (laughs) Um, do you feel like your experience as a performer informs your work as a writer or vice versa yes um
0: it does I don't know how like I couldn't pinpoint how it does but it does. <laughs> um, they say that actors and writers are cousins to each other because a lot of the skills sets are the same. It's just different. Like acting is you're using your body and your, your language and, and your, your voice, whereas writing is, you know, through the written word. Um, but I think they inform each other. And I think it's because I think that's probably why I could go from acting to writing and probably even from writing to acting one day again. Um, because they are close cousins to each other. So th- it does inform, my acting does inform my writing. I just don't know how, co- I can't concretely explain how it does. I think, <laughs> I I think
1: know it, it does, makes though. sense that it does, because like, you have to, as a writer and as an actor, you have to inhabit another character, and you have to be able to, if you know, go in and out of different characters, probably. And even if you're not writing from that perspective, you still have to like, okay, what is, what is this person's motivations? Why are they doing this? What are they gonna do next? I guess that makes sense that they are very similar, just different, like you said, modes of expression. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What advice do you have for Asian Americans who want to write romance and fiction like you do? Hmm. What advice do I have for Asian
0: Americans who wanna write romance? I would say um, be true to you because um, be true to your story um whatever that truth is for you um usually it comes that truth comes or that inner truth that sense of truth comes from our own unique experiences that cannot be duplicated um no one can see the world in the same way that you do and because of that you are unique and you have a story to tell um and so I would say, stay true to your story, to your narrative, to what you want to say um, to, your, to readers, but also to yourself as you're writing the story, because that's what's going to um, stand out um, in the marketplace. Um, when your books are published, um, that's what'll stand out to um, agents and editors. Um, don't try to uh, follow market trends because um, those always change. Um, so be the trend, even when it's not trendy, I guess. <laughs> so that's, that would be,
1: that would be my advice. I love that. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, where could people find you online and keep up with what you're doing? Um, you can find me online, uh, on my website,
0: presslasa.com. It's my first name, P-R-E-S-L-A-Y-S-A.com. Um, and you, you can also, uh, find me on social media, by just doing a search for my name on the different channels. I'm on every social media outlet. And uh, also you can look up uh, Balasian Chick Media, uh, um, B-L-A-I, no, B-L-A-S-I-A-N-C-H-I-C-Media.com. And we're also on most uh, social media websites. So you can search for us there too.
1: All right. and I will drop those in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time today. And thank you, Jennifer. Thanks for listening to Chief Executive Auntie. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe with your favorite podcast player and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps get the word out about the show and provides the external motivation I need to keep going. You can find show notes, links, and other resources at chiefexecutiveante.com. That's chiefexecutiveauntie.com. Special thanks to Sue Ann Shaw for mixing and mastering this episode, composing the music, and generally being a good human. Alyssa De La Rosa for creating the branding, and my distribution partner, Mochi Magazine. See you next time.